Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of comic books that have come out this week. Whether it's Tuesday or Wednesday, it doesn't matter. We still just Mm. love comics. We love talking about them. Uh, I I think it does. Days of the week do matter. Not true. No, not currently, Pete. Yep. Name the day. Name the day really quick, fast, wrong. It's Thursday. Six nine exactly sixty nine. That's always on your mind. <laughs> hey Pete, nice. Ah, oh, you're fucking creepy, man. I'm the creep. You're the one who said sixty nine, Pete. No, I said June ninety. Yeah, all right. Try to pass it off now. Tell you what, let's get into it. Let's talk about the comic books instead of talking about what a creep Pete LePage is. Oh, exactly. Man. That guy's the weird one. Oh. <laughs> Adventure Man number one from Image Comics, script by Matt Fraction, pencils and colors by Terry Dodson, and inks by Rachel Dodson. So this is a, as you can probably figure out, entirely new title from Matt Fraction and the Dodson. So it's a powerhouse team. Uh, I got to tell you, first of all, this book is great. Second of all, I spent the first half of this book being like, What's the twist? What are you doing? What's the twist here? Come on, give me the yeah. twist. And well, thankfully, it did come halfway through. I'm not 100% sure if we want to spoil it. I guess we'll get there. Um, but I was so happy when it did come, and I love where this title is going. And even more than that, I love Matt Fraction's explanation of how the title came about in the back matter. I'm very much on board with this book. What do you guys think? Uh, I... I mean, it's beautiful. I didn't understand what was happening for a lot of it, um, but I'm glad it kind of like at the end slowed back down a little bit so we can kind of like build from there because it was a lot at once and then kind of all over the place and then was like, okay, this is where we're going to start from. So I was like, okay, cool. Moving forward, I can like, we can work with this. I think it does a great job of being like, look at this fucking insane world. That we'll get to again, but we're going to kind of start slow. So, uh, I mean, obviously the art's amaze balls, but this is, uh, yeah, this is an interesting book. Uh, I really like this. Uh, to what you're saying, like it very much uh, starts in a world of like a the shadow type hero and the type of heroes he would have around him. Um, and a great epic battle, beautifully done by the Dodsons. And then um, you get a total pivot in the center to something that is super uh, interesting and detailed. And I'm very curious to hear or to see like where it spins, because it doesn't exactly go where you expect. It sort of takes a little bit of a different direction. So I'm, I'm really on board with this. Yeah. Also, like you should pay attention when someone walks in your store, you know, look up. 
you know? Sure. Fucking see who's walking in your store. Yeah, that's a very specific plot point that you're calling on. Uh, I think the best way of describing it, or one way of describing it at least, is like Doc Savage meets the never-ending story is what it struck me as. What? Oh, that's good. Yeah. Wait, what? What do you mean, what, Pete? There's no fucking flying dragon in this. Not yet, but let's okay spoiler show me time. a fucking falcor and then you can say never-ending story there's no fucking <laughs> rock monsters like these hands look like strong and that doesn't happen sure right? there's no That's horse a- that drowns or anything like yeah, that there's You're no right, part Pete. where it's like holy shit it's on us we're reading this story we gotta say yeah the day. i guess I mean, alex was wrong when he said this is a book that is exactly the never-ending story <laughs> okay yeah. that's what he's that's where he made a mistake that that was his mistake uh, it has elements of both of those things, I and I do it think it's very well done. I mean, to the crazy point, the thing that Matt Fraction talks about at the end of the book, which I think is so different for him, and I'm so excited to see, is he says, based on this comment, co- uh, excuse me, uh, concept, he realizes anything can happen in this world, and that's what it feels like. That basically, he just started writing. And is going to see where it takes him and then try to make it all link up by the end. And that, to me, is the ethos of serial storytelling, like literally for like serial movies where it's we're writing a chapter. Then we're going to write the next chapter. Then we're going to write the next chapter. We'll see what happens. Maybe it'll tie up at the end or even like Charles Dickens writing word by word and seeing where he gets to. That's great, and that's so freeing for him, particularly for a creator that's like so. Like you look at the Jimmy Olsen book, where it's told twelve issues told insanely out of order that's slowly coming together over the course of this. This must be so freeing and wonderful, Herm, and you could feel the lightness throughout the book. Wait, so you're saying Charles Dickens is like, okay, I'm going to start with the, and let's see, no idea beyond that. I'm going to go with hat. Uh, okay, so we have the hat, and then we're going to go with danced. Let's go with danced. The hat <laughs> you, played danced. The, you played the exquisite corks game. That's how he wrote his books. He had an improv group, and then he wrote down whatever uh, they said. Wow. It was funny that he had the original, because um, obviously everyone credits him as the original founder of um, improv, who moved to New York with the Charles uh, Dickens Four, and, <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> created their signature. My favorite book by Charles Dickens is uh, Truth and Comedy. Yeah, that's true. Charles Dickens? Dickens? Yeah. Dickens. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, this book is great. Definitely pick it up. Next one up from Marvel Comics, New Mutants number 10, written by Ed Bryson and art by Flaviano. Uh, this is taking place in an Eastern European country. A new mutant has gotten kind of crazy, created a bubble that takes everybody into their nightmares. And the new mutants are trying to work on it. Meanwhile, outside, the humans are like, oh, this is fake news. We're... Now, this is mutant propaganda, and that's basically what's going on. Pete, you raise your hand. What's going on? Yeah. Oh, man. Wasn't it nice for the X-Men just to get off Fuck Island and get back into the world and, like, do things and, like, have an adventure that didn't involve some kind of fucking bullshit island? I fucking love this. It was nice to have this comic back and doing things that aren't just weird fuck island shit i was very excited about this issue let me just say pete if you've ever been to fuck island you you don't want to leave you're not gonna (laughs) you're gonna regret leaving uh fuck island yeah i i like this book as well for different reasons than pete uh oh really different than that (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, different than that. Uh, I like taking a weird mutant power and spinning it out and seeing where it goes. I like the propaganda aspects of the storyline uh, where you have a the prime minister of this country being like, come on, they're just faking this, which feels very... Uh, on very the today. Very current to did me. you like the recipe stuff? Did you like the cooking tips? I did like the recipe, and yeah, I'll tell you too. what, I want to make that. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. What is it? Uh, Lu- uh, it was like a vegetarian stew. It yeah. had a very specific name, but it was Glob's vegetarian stew. So, you know, good stuff. Um, cool. Yeah, I like this a lot. This felt like um, sort of classic X-Men uh, stuff, um, still using all of the current continuity Uh like I like the way they're like, oh man, wild sides here. Who wants yeah, that, wild there's a lot side? Of shit to be not here? wild side. Well, wild side's like a v- villain, uh, sort of a shitty laksa, globs vegetarian laksa recipe. Uh, wild side's like a shitty, uh, I think, M- mutant liberation front uh, villain who like was well, just a henchman. Yeah, because basically. of the new status quo, villains. There's no villains or heroes. It's just all mutants living on fuck island. So that's. Uh, that's a reality so, yeah, show no, that I hope happens. Fucking ho- live with it. You got wild side now. I yeah. like it. That's why I said I liked it. Me too. All right. Next up, X Men Fuck Island number ninety two. Great <laughs> issue. Lots of fucking. Yeah. Oh boy. Right Still got it. Batman number two from DC Comics, written by James Tide the fourth, and art by Gillum March. This is finally bringing punchline, the heavily hyped. Punchline into the fray, going up against Harley Quinn oh. and Catwoman uh, as Batman is tracking down, tracking down, excuse me, uh, both the Riddler and the designer who have been going up against him. Just another great issue of this book. James Tynan is knocking it out of the park. Yeah, this is so great. Just the whole thing of like Catwoman being like Harley. Uh, this, you know, like just the build up to the punchline Harley Quinn kind of showdown and then just kind of like sitting in for a minute before they start fighting. That was great. And then just love the Batman Riddler stuff. This is a real fun book and there's a lot of layers to all the things going on. So it's exciting to see how this is all going to unfold and how Batman's going to deal because while this whole designer thing that's happening, also the Joker's got a plan that hasn't been revealed yet. So there's it's some great stuff going on. Yeah, I, James Tynan is such a great. Uh, I feel like he is just a meticulous writer, and the way in this um, his Batman writing so far has he moves the chess pieces down the board uh, like just so. That's not a great analogy. Um, he like pushes the uh, the car down the road. Shuffle, uh, shuffleboards? Sh- no, I don't. What a game where you have to push multiple things down the board at the same time. <laughs> like he, he moves <laughs> them all. Yeah, Frogger. Um, he moves every little piece a little bit each issue in such a smart way while still having um, great big fun moments like the Harley it's punchline chess. confrontation here. And I want to give a shout-out to uh, Gil March's art, uh, who does a great job. I almost thought it was two separate artists on this, um, but the, mm-hmm. the different styles on the Harley uh, punchline stuff versus the Batman Riddler stuff is so great. It's so cool to see the, the stretching in those two different directions in the issue. Also, I'm excited about Punchline. I like the way that they've dealt with her. Like at first, it was like, "All right, her name's Punchline," but she, like uh, she the, clearly takes comedy seriously. Yes. Yeah, it's fun to kind of. Uh, I'm excited for more with her. I think this is could be a very exciting new villain. 
I still need to be sold on Punchline, I think. There's a very telling thing in there where Harley Quinn is like, listen, babe, in a couple of years, let's go have margaritas and just kind of chat about everything. And that, to me, felt like a very better reference to... Yeah, we'll see if you last as a character. Let's see what happens. Oh, well, I don't know, man. I think you put your own shit on that. I think that was just kind of like, <laughs> hey, you know, I've also dated the Joker, and we can kind of like dish and, you know, kind of gripe or whatever. I don't know. Why don't we have Harley Quinn confront the other version of Harley Quinn that also exists in the DC Universe? Because <laughs> right. it definitely feels like fully in that pattern of like, okay, here we go again. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see what happens. Uh, again, I still need to be convinced of her, but I certainly... Fuck you, man. I'm, oh, oh, my God. All in the tank for Punchline already. That's crazy. Yeah. Huh. Well, it's just, the, you know, you just being like, eh, I'm not convinced of... But fuck you. That was right? an amazing... You don't have to be convinced of anything, all right? That was an amazing wow. impersonation of me, Pete. I felt oh, like you. I was listening to myself just there, so thank you. <laughs> And let's yeah. talk. Let's not move past the fact that Pete is famously always convinced about everything in comic books. <laughs> yes, it's a good point. Uh, let's move on and talk about one of my favorite books right now, Stealth Number Two from Image Comics, written by Mike Costa and art by Nate Belgrade, uh, Mel Belgard, excuse me. Uh, so the first issue of this book set up. It was a swerve, like it was a twist first issue where you thought there was this young superhero who was going out on the streets, being a vigilante, taking care of his dad, trying to balance so many things. Turns out it's his dad who has some serious memory issues and maybe some serious mental issues going on, who is actually vacillating between beating up criminals and beating up the cops. We deal with the fallout this issue. We meet the big bad villain that's coming for both of them. Uh, I got to tell you, like, I I was very hyped up after the first issue. This matched it. And to me, at least in the early going, feels like this is like the next Invincible in my mind. Wow. That, that's a, a big a big statement. But I agree. Like, I love this book. Like, it's something – it's a book that had a nice swerve, but it didn't feel like a gimmick. It felt earned yeah. in the first issue. And the second issue, like – sort of uh, elaborates on the premise, but also just, like, builds on the characters away from the premise and introduces a villain that was, like, great, scary. Like, it's very rare when you get a visual reveal, like you get in this issue, and it really hits, and it just did, I thought. And plus, what's great is it goes back to that old adage, if you rub a creepy hand on somebody's face, they'll tell you their whole life story from start to finish. God, if I Um, hear that one more time, Pete, I'm going to scream. That old adage. Cliche. Well, do some vocal warm-ups because you be screaming. I think that uh, the art's great. This This is a fun kind of book that's like aware of tropes and doing different things and making different choices. I'm very interested to see how this all pans out, but so far I'm on board. I yeah. always hate hearing that trope, do some vocal warm-ups because you be screaming. But <laughs> yeah. here we go, Pete trotting out that old chestnut one more Dusted time. Dusted that one off. Yeah. Wellington, number four from IDW, story by Aaron Mankey and Delilah S. Dawson, script by Delilah S. Dawson and art by Piotr Kowalski. Uh, this is a book with a lot of rabbits. Uh, and the oh, rabbits wow. are cool. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah. We saw I mean, a lot of rabbits in our stack today. I, I want to say the the art alone is worth it. The pickup for this. I mean, 
the panel layouts, the use of color, the lack of color, the way they're they're kind of do full praise beds into single, very small stuff. Very impressive. The artistic style in this comic is very impressive. Then it kind of gets into like blah, 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 white people shit with the T and the fucking <laughs> bullshit. And I have a robot <laughs> butler. But I'm interested to see where it goes. Man, I have some bad news for you about your Belladin, Pete. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, this, oh, big pause. Uh, I, uh, I, I like this. It felt, uh, I, th- I think the rabbit stuff, uh, was great. Um, it feel, it does feel like sort of proper British. Maybe that's what Pete is talking about a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, but I liked it. Yeah. Delilah Stossen does a good job with horror fantasy. And I think that's on display here. I haven't read the first three issues of this book, but I like this. It's creepy. It's weird. It's interesting. Um, definitely intrigued to pick up more. Uh, let's move on to another book that I'm going to give insane over praise to Dryad number two from Oni Press, written by Curtis Wiebe and illustrated and colored by Justin Osterling. In the first issue, we were introduced to a couple that moves to a small town in a fantasy-style world. Um, They uh, establish that magic has pretty much left the world, even though it seems like a very typical Tolkien-esque fantasy world. Uh, Years later, we pick up with their kids exploring the woods. They seem to release demons in the woods, and we pick up right there. There's a bunch of twists this issue. And while, again, like while I'm giving overpraise to some of the best comics of all time, this to me, again, in the second issue, and I know it's ridiculous to throw this out there, feels like the new saga to me. What 100%. the fuck, dude? It Jesus is, we, H. Christ. We compared it to Saga with the first issue. And, yeah. like, in a time when Saga is not coming out, like, if you're a Saga fan, this definitely fills that gap. But it's not, to Alex's point, it's not just a filler. This has, like, has legs. It's not a Saga clone by any means. It's a, a bit of praise because it really has that same vibe of like strong, like irreverent characters that feel real, but feel like they have real voices in a fantasy slash sci-fi world a little bit that are out there. Like you want to know, you get caught up in the drama very quickly. And I want to also shout out the art by, uh, you said Justin Oslinger, like so good, uh, really on the same level as, as saga as well. I mean, who doesn't love a badass mom? And I think that this comic has that, and I think it's great. I really like this world that they set up. I'm excited to get more. Um, Yeah, there was some, like, uh, you know, some sexual stuff like they have in Saga. Uh, But I'm I'm excited to see where this goes and what's going on. I mean, so far, we don't have, like, a lion cat or, like, one of those characters that is just so amazing. Uh, but I do think it could get there. That does have the potential for that. Well, what do you uh, love about Lion Cat the most? The fact that they, it says lying when people are lying? Yep. Checks out. Interesting. Uh, there's, I know I said this before, uh, there is just a hell of a twist in the middle of this second issue, which is a crazy thing to throw out there in the middle of a second issue, but highly recommend picking up the first one. Highly recommend picking up the second one. Definitely go back and check it out. Uh, Justin Osterling, by the way, is the name. Osterling. Osterling. Uh, Daredevil number 20 from Marvel, written by Chip Zdarsky, an arc, uh, art by Marco Cicchetto. Uh Daredevil is, has the mask back on. Otherwise, he's yeah, pretty... Yeah, he's back. Pr- well, he's pretty business casual, other than yeah. that. 
Uh, he is fighting in the middle He's of Hell's Kitchen. Party up top, business in the bottom. Exactly. All of his villains are there. They are wrecking the shit out of Hell's Kitchen. Everything is coming together here. This is the knockdown, drag out brawl for Hell's Kitchen issue. God, this is good. Just like Kingpin and Daredevil back to back. Being back like, to back. Being like, fuck you. No, fuck you. Let's save yeah. Hell's Christian. No, I hate you. No, I hate Such good characterizations throughout this entire book. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, Chip Zdarsky is like um, known as like a, like a funny guy on Twitter, like very much like a jokester. But he has constructed just a very uh, complex and delicate story for Daredevil throughout this whole series and the fact that he the fact that he's able to land in this issue totally earned Kingpin and Daredevil teaming up with not getting along but agree but having the same goal I think is just really smartly done Kingpin's like I don't give a fuck about you this is my city I run this town and Daredevil's like this is Hell's Kitchen this is my part of town like that is just great uh Typhoid Mary is in here the uh, Foggy does this great thing where he like shows up and Daredevil has yeah, to like Foggy saves the fucking day is you know, what he does. Foggy Daredevil, saves Daredevil has to escort him out. He has like to he escort him does. out. Huh? Foggy always says the day doesn't get any credit. Fucking gives the key at the key moment, gives Daredevil the weapon he needs to save the day. Yep. And then he has to walk, slowly walk him out of Hell's Kitchen and get him back to a safe uh, lazy boy to sit down and think about the law. Fuck you. Fuck you, man. You gotta give Did either of you guys not to get like too political or current out here, but did either of you guys reading this issue like seeing Kingpin fighting for Hell's Kitchen to be like, no, I gotta save this city. Did you think about Mayor de Blasio at all? Because I couldn't read this issue. Same guy. (laughs) Same guy. Could you imagine de Blasio being like, I'm in the middle of a brawl fighting stuff because I can't. Yeah, um, I, I want to say this was like, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I forgot you're in Philly now, Pete. So you don't care about our New York issues. Yeah, all. come on. What no, about New York I, City? First off, I don't think fucking, De, I mean, de Blasio and Kingpin. Okay, all right, fine. But like the fact that de Blasio would roll up his sleeves and get in a brawl is just too ridiculous for me to even envision. He works um, out at the Y all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. great for him. That's good for him. Um I, I also really liked the Zen moment that Daredevil had before he kind of like fought, like just the kind of the thing of like breathe, you can do this. Like it's very interesting the way Chip is kind of building Daredevil back up a little bit here. Um, and also the it was a weird turn at the end, but it's that classic thing at the end of comics where you're like, I don't know if this is real or not, or if they'll do this in the next issue. Oh, but it's like- real. I think it a hundred percent pays off uh, Matt Murdock's guilt. Uh, I think it's definitely real. And we're going to see that in the next, that's the next arc. I bet. But I do love how huge Kingpin is drawn in this comic. It's really fantastic, especially when he, it's like back to back, with Daredevil, it was really cool. He uh, got into a- crime to afford the suits that he wears. It's true. You got it. to get a tailor. You know uh, I mean? Because, you know, Rochester Big and Tall is going to try to take care of you, but I don't know if they got stuff like that. Oh, Pete, are, were you born in Rochester or were you born in Rochester Big and Tall? Uh, <laughs> which, where are you from? Uh, uh, that's actually the only hospital that they have there. Yeah, <laughs> they only treat only the biggest and tallest get uh, <laughs> medical assistance in Rochester. 
Ian Fleming's James Bond number five from Dynamite, written by Vita Ayala and Denny Laura Art by Brent Peoples. Uh, this to me, and I say this very fondly, is like Archer but serious. <laughs> That's oh, funny. Interesting. Yeah, uh, that's uh, a good take. What I like about it is specifically the art style feels very um, brushed. It feels like the covers of the original James Bond uh, novels brought to life. I thought that was such a smart choice. And otherwise, it's a fun adventure. It's nice to see James Bond doing um, different stuff than he would normally be doing. Yeah, it's great because it's like uh, it's kind of going away from the trope of James Bond just being a womanizer like we have uh female characters in here who are actually doing stuff and really being a part of it and it's great to see like this kind of like uh, a new dynamic and this direction i like the this kind of team up and i also thought it was really cool the kind of showdown where she was like oh this all looks fake and all this kind of stuff yeah, I really thought this was I'm not the hugest James Bond guy, but I thought this was a really great comic. Huh. That's surprising to me. I You're more of an Austin Powers guy? A shagadelic sure. baby? I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. <laughs> <laughs> of course you would go for that. Uh, Undiscovered Country number 6 from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder and Charles Soule, art by Giuseppe Camicoli and uh, Leonard Mares- Marcello Grassi. This is the end of the first arc of this Holy. book. What? This, finally so, finally like, some dr- clarity. I'm sorry, Justin, go ahead. I said finally some clarity. Yeah, exactly. Like, it strung us along, and then in one issue, we get this huge info dump of all the stuff we've been wondering. It's like, holy crap. Uh, Yeah, intense. This is a really interesting, great comic that has, like, a lot happen in this issue. And if you stick with it this long, it's a great payoff. This long being six issues. Uh, six yeah, whole so issues. You gotta wait if you haven't picked up the book, the idea is there is a plague called Sky that is hitting the entire world, killing off people. Uh, when there's a message from the United States, which has been walled off for years, summoning several people into the United States, it is not what they expected. Time moves differently there. There are different levels of walls, and they are trying to track down Aurora which is she is the mistress of the United States. She is the head of the United States. We don't know exactly what's going on with her yet, but they've been in the first area, which is run by an evil being called the destiny man. And it finally all comes down to this. They get through the first wall. As Pete mentioned, we get a lot of answers. Oh God, I talk about this every issue, but like, there's so many things that I have such trouble wrapping my head around with this book, but it's so good. Nonetheless, Yeah, it's like um, it sort of has the structure of a video game. You're like sort of moving through levels to get to the next level, but they don't explain. There are no cutscenes, or they don't explain a lot of what you're fighting and what you're fighting for. Um, But I mean, we trust these writers. Uh, The art's great. I think we're going to get the story told, and it's ballsy to really immerse us in the world. Um, but what I think they're striking is a really smart, simple tone. A lot of the characters are speaking in sort of American tropes, especially in this issue, which you get a lot of, and like sort of distilling uh, dystopian or uh, post-apocalyptic America down to uh, values and sort of laying them out to us or these characters as they go through it is really cool. 
I'm glad you said that video game thing because I just want one of them to walk up to one of the villagers and ask a question about what's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like if eat some meat that's been sitting on the ground for a while. Yeah. 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 To improve their stamina. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mountainhead number four from IDW Story by John Lee's art by Ryan Lee. I'll admit I haven't read the first three issues of this, so I don't know what's going on. I cannot, reading this fourth issue, imagine what happened to the first couple of issues because, man, this issue is crazy. Yes, it is. And the art is so detailed. It's like, I feel like. It must have taken so long to draw this comic. Yeah, I'm. It, this is a great comic as far as the art is concerned. the The storytelling is fun, but I, it's really talking about an issue that I'm glad they're tackling. Don't trust people who are smiling and nice to you out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Just mm. don't do it. If yeah. you come across a town that's in the middle of a mountain and, and everybody's way too nice, get the fuck out of there. So just to be more explicit about it, it's about a family that finds themselves on this mountain. Everybody gets infected with some sort of disease that turns them into horrible, pulsating flesh monsters. So it's kind of like a zombie invasion thing. They realize the only way out is over the mountain near the town. Um, Again, I didn't read the first three issues. It's crazy to me that this is the fourth issue because this feels like the first issue. So... I feel like you could just pick this up and get going from here and not miss a beat, personally. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, sure the first three issues explain a little bit more about the town and what's going on. What mountains are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like mm-hmm. who the characters are. What are they? They're, I still don't know. They're like fields that just go up. Oh, okay. <laughs> they're like <laughs> escalators that don't move. Uh, wow. I, I get it. With trees. The Batman's Grave, number seven from DC Comics, written by Ward Ellis and art by Brian Hitch. Uh, this is continuing the most Ward Ellis Batman <laughs> story you possibly can tell. Uh, finally, there's like a bunch of things going on where some villains are attacking Batman. He's trying to figure out what's going on. There's a sequence where the Batmobile gets blown up and he has to walk home. It's just Ward Ellis like... Having fun with Batman and being like, ah, Brian Hitch, you draw some crazy action sequences and have a good time. And it's so good. Um, yeah, we um, we reviewed Next Wave in our uh, live show uh, podcast. And this feels a little bit um, like that in the relationship between the writer and the artist. It's very much like Warren Ellis doing wheelies on um, Batman uh, conversations with like Commissioner Gordon, Alfred, all those. And then being like, all right. Your turn, uh, Hitch. You uh, do some cool stuff, and we'll connect back at the tail end of the issue. Yeah, this is... uh, It's really fun stuff. A lot of kind of like badass Batman moments, which is great. Uh, The whole car bit is hysterical. Uh, But um, it's too much for me because Alfred is dead. And like seeing Alfred here and... It's just like it's great because it's like I get Alfred, but I know it's not it's not in canon. It's not continuity. So it's just fucking like the fact that Alfred's here, but it's not real is fucking heartbreaking. You know, they say real butlers never die. They just uh, take longer making the tea. Wow. I love that old adage. It's in a very old adage, old yeah. butler uh, <laughs> for a turn of phrase. <laughs> 
Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 17, written by Saladin Ahmed, pencils by Carmen Carnero. Now, this is picking up on the outlawed storyline that started before coronavirus and then got put on hold and is now, I guess, being picked up again, where teen superheroes have been outlawed. Uh, They're supposed to be brought in by the U.S. government. And the first half of the issue is Spider-Man helping out a kid who feels like an outsider because he likes designing. He feels a little different than the other kids. And the second half of the issue is him being hunted down by Dub Dub Dugan. Um, I really like the first half of the issue in particular. Oh, don't you fucking put it in halves. I I agree. You like the comic or you don't. I loved the first half, and I uh, put it down and took a long break in between halves, which is what you're supposed to do with comics. Nope. There's a, like, f- a football game. It's like a b- halftime. Uh, this was a great comic. I enjoyed this. I really liked the uh, kind of moment where he kind of checks in with the kid. I feel like that's a great Spider-Man thing to do. Yeah. Just be like, hey, man, you're awesome. Don't fucking sweat it. Like, follows him on Instagram, makes a video with him. Great. Spider-Man shit, love it. And then just fun. So you, like, you love oh, the first half. I, would you let me finish? Yep. And then running yep. into Dum Dum, that was fun. That was cool banter. And then him just kind of like sizing up Dum Dum, uh, escaping, and then just like getting to school and realizing, oh, shit, this is still going on. This wasn't kind of like a one type of incident. This is kind of like, and then, you know, seeing his friends like stressed out about it. I love this Spider-Man. This is fun. This is a fun Spider-Man book. I'm very much enjoying it. What did you think about the halftime show, Pete? There wasn't a halftime show. Are yeah, you there was about a halftime they sat show down because we have the first dinner half. as a family. No, no, no. There was the first half, and then there was the performance by Shakira, and then there was the second half. Yeah. I love the Shakira. Did you not get that in your issue? You should. Was it Shakira and J-Lo or just Shakira? What happened? Just Shakira. It's not the Super Bowl. They couldn't afford J-Lo. I agree. I I like this issue a lot. And I I really like the way there are a lot of differences between Miles and Peter Parker, uh, even though they're both sort of in the Spider-Man mode. And what I like that they do here is Miles is very busy, but he's never doesn't have that sort of manic energy that Peter Parker always has where he's like, oh, no, I'm late for all this stuff. Like the scene where he goes and has dinner with his family. I just I thought it was so, so great. And they have a discussion. They have different points of view. He's able to just be there for the whole discussion without having to rush off and move on. And it just feels like a, a night, a real, it feels like Spider-Man, but it feels different in a good yeah, way. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, let's talk about Ice Cream Man number 19 from oh. Image Comics, written by W. Maxwell Prince, art by Martin Morazzo. Uh, I know I've been given a lot of effusive praise this episode, but this title is like the next Ice Cream Man. Wow. Wow! Um, just in no, time this, for summer. This this issue is fucking fantastic. Like, this, is is this the best comic? That's this, the thing, right? Like the the way that it it sets a high bar, and then you're going, all right, well, this has got to be the best issue of the run, and then it goes above that and just kills it. I I just can't talk enough about how it designs an issue from start to finish in a way that makes you want to reread it examine it, look at what it's doing. It's so smart. It's deep. It does so many different things. 
And then you'll get another issue that's so completely different. It's really impressive. It's almost like they have a team of writers on this (laughs) coming up with different ideas to do each issue. It's unbelievable. Well, and what's great about this issue specifically, that's very emblematic for the whole series, is um, it's a horror comic, all standalone issues, and it attacks like sort of – Every it attacks like horror, like real life horror, like a murder or in this case, a suicide. Yeah. Then it um, in so many of the issues, it elevates that and just shows how an everyday normal life is horrifying. And we get that here as well. And then in addition, we get like the metaphysical um, horror, which can sometimes be spun positively in this comic. In this case, yes, very sort of very rarely. But like. Just being able to do horror in three different ways and have the most horrible thing be the everyday life of the characters that we're touching on is oh it's so good. This is I think this is my favorite comic uh, to read every month, every whenever it comes out. And this issue is my favorite. Of yeah, the really, because you're changed after reading it. Yeah. You're not the same person. And it's crazy because like the horror levels are so specific and when you, I, I just can't, but then also they had the weird uncle Pete shit and I'm like, what the fuck? That's just like a never ending story situation where I'm in the story too. Like what's going on? Uh, I'm sorry, Pete. Was there a dragon? Was there uh, <laughs> a horse that dried? I don't think this is a never ending story situation. <laughs> I don't, I just don't think so. I put that so, cookie out for you and you took it. To give you, I always take the you listener folks the broad overview of this particular issue. Uh, there's yeah. an overarching plot for Ice Cream Man, but this essentially functions as a done in one issue. Uh, I'm sure there will be themes and ideas that pay off in future issues, but essentially this is about a kid, or at least it starts off with a kid who dresses up a ghost. Pretends he's a ghost, so he's floating through life. He thinks he's invisible, and it follows him in three different periods throughout his entire life as he continues to be affected by the things that happened to him as a child and uh, continues to think of himself as a ghost walking through his own life. The main thing that I took away from this issue that I think is rather remarkable about this comic is this book is at its best when it's dealing with aging now. Like, it started off being about uh, horror. It started off being about, um, uh, I don't know, just about all the horrible things that potentially could happen to people. But Death and violence. Yeah, the violence and just like these very dudded one, like Tales from the Crypt almost, but elevated horror ideas. But uh, the best issues have had almost no horror elements to them other than the absolute horror of like our own inevitable deaths. Yeah. But it also also starts with like a guide. Like it's like a guide of like how to be a ghost. Yeah. On top of that, it uses this old the guidebook, which is like an old like uh, sort of almost Boy Scout thing. Yeah. Uh, Like it has that. That's another layer of horror on it where it feels like this dusty thing you found in your attic. Yeah. Yeah. And just like the way that we're watching the character kind of like see things and feel things like that whole thing where he's on the roof, like cleaning the gutter, you're like, oh, God, oh, no, no, not the bridge again. Like, it is just so well done. It's so concise yeah. as well. It really is. It's the best comic out there. It's fantastic. Get yourself uh, some ice cream. 
Close second, potentially. Something is Killing the Children, number seven from Boom Studios, yes. written by James Todd of the Fourth, illustrated by Werther Del Arderia. Uh, this was just nominated for an Eisner, so don't yeah. undersell it. Uh, this is about a woman, girl, teen, kind of unclear how old she is in a small town. She's fighting monsters who are, of course, killing children. This issue, we get somebody else from the organization she is part of comes up to the town she's in is like, you're fucking everything up. You're doing it wrong. Here's what you got to do right. Um, Man, every issue of this is just so good. I know we've already praised James Tynan on this podcast, but the art from Werther Del Adaria is so good across the board. Every issue of this is great. Yeah, and what's great is like, even though it's the the same writer, this book feels so different, and uh, and that's really a great uh, mark of an amazing writer where you don't know it's the same person. Like the whole part where she's angry and then explains to the other agent why, so moving. So fantastic. Uh, yeah, this is a really, really great book. It starts off, even the first issue, you're like, holy shit, this is going to be a great run. And it's really delivered on every issue. Got nominated for an Eisner. I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, it's really good. Uh, the art is good and scary. And it really goes for the horrifying things. Like a bunch of the, this issue especially, like you feel it as the characters are dealing with all of these children that were killed. Really, yeah, the chain smoking mom. Holy shit. Really great book. The Kill Lock, number five from IDW Story and Art by Livio Ramondelli. Uh, again, this is one that I haven't read the first couple of issues of, but big old fights throughout, really pre- beautifully drawn. I, I wasn't in love with the story since I didn't know exactly what was going on there, but the art is very gorgeous uh, yeah. throughout. It's really uh, great art. It seems like some kind of robot fight club that we've stumbled across here. But I love the kind of passion. And then the guy's beaten down and does the spit in the other guy's face. That was fun. It's some it's some uh, intense action. It's um, very interesting storytelling. But the art's the real hero. I like this a lot. I think it's it's four robots that are sort of uh, paired together from different circumstances, paired together uh, after they've been shunned by society for different reasons. Um, it, it feels a lot like if you're a fan of Descender or Ascender, very much in line with uh, the robot characters of that, like Driller, Driller, who's a real killer. Like, that vibe is definitely here. Um, and the story I thought was great. Like, you... S- you don't know um, much about these characters. You can, f- even though they don't have mouths, uh, you can really <laughs> feel what they're feeling. And the the sacrifice at the end of the issue is just really great, really well done. Uh, that mainly reminded me that the, in the last issue of Ascender, which was months ago at this point, uh, Driller showed up. Which is Fuck so yeah. exciting. Oh Can't my wait. god. I'm so excited. Bitter Root, number eight from Image Comics, created by David F. Walker, Chuck Brown, and Sanford Green. Uh, this takes place in a world where monsters are real. Folks are fighting those monsters. Pete, I know you're a big fan of this book. What do you yeah, think about this issue? You want to talk about an award winning book? This book is unfucking believable. Has this won is an awards? amazing issue. Uh, what's that? Has it won awards? Nah, it will. It will. Oh, Give okay. it time. Okay, I Give see it what time. you're saying. People are slow to catch on to this, but it's really fantastic. Uh, this issue is balls. We kind of get the uh, thing where the team split up 
to kind of go uh, their separate ways to kind of win the day. And we have these kind of people who are taken over and some kind of like virus and they've got to give them one of two antidotes. And um, I, I just really love the art. Sanford Green is killing it on the art. The, the storytelling is fantastic. Um, and the back matter on this book is amazing. Uh, it's just they get into Grios, which is uh, if you watch the Mark Twain, uh, David Chappelle special, uh, David Chappelle talks about Grios and how uh, the art of storytelling and stuff like that. And this book is just killing it on that front. There's a lot of history and heritage in this story. And uh, yeah, they also just the the back matter alone is just worth it. But this is a really creative, really amazing book. I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, I agree. I, I the the amount of uh, research um, in this book and the the historical uh, underpinnings to it, while still just having just a great story that touches on like that's horrifying at points, but also like there's a great like jazz interlude in this as well. Yeah. Like it's a just. Uh, a story that's that's firing on all cylinders the entire time. Really great. Yeah. Next up, Vampirella, Red Sonia, number eight from Dynamite Comics, written by Jordi Belair and art by Drew Boss. So Red Sonia is lost in time. She's sent to the, I want to say, 1920s. Vampirella has been brainwashed into being a dancer at a club. She's going and rescuing her. Um, we talked about, I feel like, the first issue of this book, maybe the second. That was pretty yeah. much it. Um, but this is very good. Like, I think Jordi Belair drills in on these characters very well. The art by Drew Moss is great. I love all the 1920s skidoo-type dialogue that happens throughout it. Um, I'm not a huge fan of either Red Sonia or Vampirella, but uh, th this comic is good. Yeah, I, what I really like what they're doing is they're not uh, doing the TNA and all that bullshit. They're really uh, uh, going all in on the storytelling and focusing on these characters and the bond that they have, which is great. And uh, it's just, it's a fun, cool story that involves these characters. And you don't know what's going to happen. There's so many twists and turns and so many different levels to stuff. But yeah, I think this is really impressive, and I'm glad they're kind of going away from just being like, hey, teenage boys, check out some TNA, you know, and they're doing some great storytelling. Yeah, uh, but I, I also I think there is like uh, sensuality or sexuality is mixed up, especially with these characters. So the fact that they um, the story gets to that in a way that actually feels like it's part of the story and is interesting as opposed to just like super obvious and uh they're just to titillate like I, I think that's really smartly done here and yeah it's a really great like they're sort of falling through time aspect of the, this this comic is great uh i liked it a lot as well next up excellence number seven from image comics created and written by brandon thomas and created an art by carrie randolph we talked about i think every issue of this book but Almost, yeah. In case you haven't picked it up yet, it, it takes place in a world where there's a secret society of magical people. They are all black, uh, and one of the people in the society is rebelling against it, rebelling against the sort of like cast levels of the society where women are locked off, different people are on different levels. Uh, and he, this issue, 
basically is trying to like set up his revolution, but check in yep. with everybody beforehand. So he uses a spell to split himself into four so he can visit four different places, throw the people who are pursuing him off of him, and also check in with the people he loves at the same time. I love how specific every single issue of this is with a different aspect of the magic in the book. It's so smart, and Carrie Randolph's art is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah I, I mean... Oh, go ahead. I agree. Like, in a world where you may be looking for something um, outside of the Harry Potter world um, to... Oh, why would that be? Just in case you maybe are um, <laughs> aware of a reason to be like, oh, maybe Harry Potter is not um, all it's cracked up to be these days. Like, this is such a great... Um, thing, a story to dive into that uses those elements in a way that feels uh, new and interesting and the characters feel uh, real. Yeah, I like Justin was saying earlier, like this does such a great job of moves, moving chess pieces around in a way that is so smart and it's entertaining to watch. Like you're kind of watching magicians try to outsmart each other uh, and kind of setting these little traps and stuff. And the art's phenomenal. It's great storytelling. And it's fun to someone to see someone being like, you know what? Fuck all your old ways. I'm trying to do something. I'm starting a fucking revolution. Get on board. I I feel like this is not obviously the end goal because I love Brent Thomas. I love Carrie Randolph. I want them to keep doing these comics forever. But reading this book, I was like, please, God, just somebody give this to Michael B. Jordan and him yeah. be like, let me just star in this movie or TV show or whatever. Because it's, it's him. It's him. It's yeah. him. It's so clearly him, and it's so clearly, like, it's it's so much more than that as a comic book, but it's so clearly at the same time, like, oh, just put this on screen. Like, this is a one-to-one yeah. in terms of what you could do. It's great. Uh, Lois Lane, number 11, from DC Comics, written by Greg Rucka, art and cover by Mike Perkins. This is the penultimate issue of this run on Lois Lane. Um, not what you would expect from a Lois Lane book, I think, but she is yeah. teaming up with a bunch of folks to take down a villain called The Kiss, I believe, uh, who mm. has been targeting Lois Lane, among other people. She is teaming up with this other woman, and they set up... They figure out mostly everything, but the setup at the end of the issue is Lois Lane is about to lay it all out like the good detective reporter that she is. Uh, so unexpected the way this series went, but so good at the same time. Yeah, this is really taking some great creative swings. I love the direction it took. I love putting Lois Lane in this power position of being the badass that she is. Uh, uh, but then kind of like, oh, shit, maybe I made a mistake. It was really great. This is a fun book. It, every issue is very enjoyable. Art and storytelling are solid. This is a, gr a great pickup. Uh, yeah, it. I'm surprised by the way it went, especially when uh, the first, like, three or four issues felt, like, pretty straight, like, uh, slightly political, um, uh, commenting on uh, the culture and culture in the DC universe and all that. And now we're into some like 
pretty wild multi-dimensional magic uh using yeah. uh shit um so uh, the fact that you can do all this in one book is super exciting i think this has been one of the most interesting titles dc's done in the last year so um i can't wait to find out what lois has to say when it comes to answers uh by the way i don't want to break the fourth wall here or anything but justin do you have a bunch of like very loud crickets going out of the background uh, yes there i'm uh in the country and there's a window here and there's like uh frogs and birds and uh, crickets yeah. and <laughs> great awesome. great stuff yeah i can close the window or is nah, it that's all right is it nice and country it's it, nice. it makes me feel like i'm out of the city which would be the best thing uh, decorum number two from Image Comics Words by Jonathan Hickman Art by Mike Huddleston This book is Bonkers Yeah, uh, There is A story And I put the use the word story loosely That's happening at the beginning of the issue So far that is talking about Some sort of thing with crystal people In the universe or whatever And then the majority of the story is taken up With a delivery girl who is taken in by an assassin and potentially become something more. Uh, Justin, I know you really like the first issue of this in particular. How'd you feel about the second one? I mean, truly, uh, I, this issue proved it even harder. Like, this is Jonathan Hickman being like, oh, I like what I did over here on X-Men, um, where I have this sort of story and I do a bunch of different chapters and they all don't all connect necessarily. And then I do a bunch of like, prosy things in the middle that are um, sort of infographic-y, but also just like little bits. What if I did that where I didn't have to follow any sort of continuity or have an editor tell me what the fuck I'm doing? And that's what this book is. This is truly his X-Men Krakoa-style jam sesh where he gets to go wild um, with uh, in the universe with a, a Kitty Pride type character who is out there doing her own thing. And uh, if you, it's like if you're like if you like the X Men run that he's doing, this is like it cut loose. Uh, yeah, I mean, as soon as it started with the symbols and all that stuff, I was like, "Come on, Hickman! You know, we, we know this is your fucking bag. You don't have to lean into it this hard." Uh, but I made a mistake because this is the part where it got all like Downton Abbey and the little little uh, and the fucking uh, robot butlers and stuff like that. Oh, when you said that before about Wellington, you were actually talking about this book. Yeah, yeah. Got you. Gotcha. Uh, Rick and Morty Go to Hell, number one from Odie Press, written by Wright and Ryan Ferrier, illustrated by Costanzo Orezo. Oreza? Oreza. There we go. Uh, So this is exactly what it says for the title. This is Rick and Morty, if you're a fan of the TV show. They end up in hell. They're not quite sure why they're there or what happened. Of course, Rick does not believe they're in hell. Morty absolutely thinks they're in hell, and they work through from there. Uh, I think this is fun. I think this channels the sense of the show. There's some good bits throughout here. I enjoyed reading this book. Yeah, I felt like it was very much, you know, felt like a Rick and Morty show in comic book form. The only thing that bothered me was the whole issue. Rick was like, nope, 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 not, you know what I mean? Like, come on, guy. Like, I got to read another issue before you're finally like, okay, we're in hell. Could you imagine if there was an entire show where one of the characters of the show just said no and fuck you the entire time. That would be yeah. very disappointing for everybody. Right, Pete? That's true. Really anti-improv. Hmm. Weird. I never thought about it like that. <laughs> 
Oh, wow. Sip. Drinking a beer. Cat, I Long wish you sip. all could see this at home because it's. it's oh, my a God. Good he's sign. pouring. He's not even drinking. He's pouring it all out on his face, all over his shirt. He's just like <laughs> luxuriating in this beer. Oh, my God. He's now a, he's taking off his shirt because it's all wet and he's kind of like rubbing it into his chest here. He's very hairy. Very hairy. That beard That's goes true. all the way down. What did you think about this one, Justin? I mean, it's good. To, to your point, it, it feels, if you're a fan of the show, like Rick and Morty is a show that, and this is like uh, sacrilegious a little bit, but I haven't watched it. It's a show that what? I haven't. Really? Do yes. you want all the free time that you have right now? What the fuck, man? No, the, no free time. Um, it, it's a show that I definitely want. I've seen a couple episodes, but I haven't really just committed did to it. Did you see Pickle Rick? Uh, no, I, I know about eh, Pickles. Overrated. overrated. I know about Pickles. Um, no, Pickle Rick is a very touching episode, you asshole. It's a very good episode, but it's not the best episode of the show. Yeah, um, but it's a famous episode. Here, here's he what I'd say t- is the one thing that hurts this is it's weird reading in a comic book form because they're trying to repeat the speed of the back and forth and the overlap of Rick and Morty, mm-hmm. and it doesn't quite work in the comic book form. I think Ryan Ferrier does a good job of trying to ape it, and he mirrors it as much as possible, but you don't get that. Like, even though it's Justin Roiland doing the voices, it's just, they're overlapping and you don't get that there, which is a bit of a bummer, but in terms of the humor and everything else, it all tracked. And I think it's good. And Justin, you should watch it. You should check it out. I'm going to. I will. I'm definitely going to. There you go. All right, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you like to support us, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out and we will chat comic books. Comicbookclublive.com for this podcast. More iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen. Pete, what did you want to say? Well, just be careful if you choose YouTube or Crowdcast because apparently people are really into those specific mm-hmm. platforms. So you can't just willy nilly go back and forth. You wow. got to choose a team or a side. <laughs> yes, choose a side, whether it's YouTube, Crowdcast, or Team Frogs Outside the Window. And we will see <laughs> you next week at the Virtual Comic Book Shop. <laughs>